0: I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. I know from my experience as a financial planner that we humans are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. Many of us struggle to see that money is really just a means to an end and that the decisions we make around money can change not only our life, but the life of others as well. I'm going to be speaking with guests from a variety of backgrounds and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had along the way. I'm also going to be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions that I've seen my clients wrestle with over the years. My hope is that the shared experience of my guests will help you think maybe differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Welcome to Money Expresso. I hope you're well and settling into autumn after our gorgeous late summer. I was lucky enough to get a week in Spain recently, and uh, it was a real treat once we'd waded through the various COVID administration. But I guess that's a small price to pay to, to be able to travel abroad. Um, I just wanted to share with you one of those life experiences that uh, happened to us on holiday. So picture the scene. We'd had a gorgeous day of sunning ourselves and we're having dinner at a delightful beachside restaurant. And we decided to choose catch of the day, which, which happened to be sea bass, a pretty regular kind of fish. Now the fish was absolutely delicious, perfectly cooked and falling off the bone. And we were totally satiated as we quaffed the final dregs of our albarino and waited for La cuenta, the bill. Now, The thing is, the waiter hadn't told us about the weight of the fish relative to the price per kilo. So when we got the bill, it was a bit of a surprise that the cost of the fish alone was 80 euros. Now, particularly when you compared the fish and chips, was only 15 euros and used the same sea bass. Now, our delight started to turn to irritation and regret that kind of feeling that as a tourist we'd been had. So guess what's the lesson? Well for me it was one of those reminders that when dealing with people in life to make sure we're open and transparent in setting expectations. So there are no surprises when we leave our family and friends with that feeling of we don't we, we feel like we've been had somehow, that sinking feeling of buyer's remorse. So we want to have no surprises. Oh, and also when uh, you order capture the day next time, be sure to ask for the weight of the fish before proceeding. Now, let's crack on with today's show. Now, in this episode, I chat to a fascinating woman who I learn from every time I speak, and that lady is Tina Katari. Tina came, Tina came to England from uh, India as a small baby, and she tells a fascinating story from starting off getting a philosophy degree, to working in commerce and banking, to becoming a counsellor and trainer working with people in addiction, with addiction and eating disorders, both in Europe and the USA, before she, she used those skills in the corporate world, working with executives in blue-chip companies. She explains how her life experiences Uh, And what she's seen has fired her passion for human rights. And she has combined this compassion and passion with her love of film to launch uh, Another Way Now, which is an organization dedicated to shining a light on human rights abuses, starting to change conversation and bringing action to what's actually happening in the world. Tina shares her experiences of the power of stories to motivate and educate and we speak about the differences between money and currency and why money is such a cause of angst in relationships and she also shares the three principles that she used to guide her spending on her now adult children so sit back grab yourself an espresso, and enjoy the conversation Tina A very warm welcome to Money Expresso. Thanks, Ruth. I'm really pleased to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. Um, Maybe, Tina, we could just... I mentioned during my introduction that you've recently set up a charity, Another Way Now, to shine a light on human rights issues. Now, I'd love to talk more about the amazing work you're doing there, but you've done some incredibly inspiring things along the way. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about your journey... To how another way now came to be. You know, it's funny when I look back,
1: um, and I and I thought you'd ask me this kind of question, so I, I have been thinking a lot about it. Um, when I look back, I see the little things that seemed trivial or like diversions on on my journey were actually critical in making this happen. So, I did a philosophy degree, which was fantastic. It taught me how to argue, um, <laughs> and then I did. Some oral history projects and um, literacy projects on the Isle of Dogs for a year. Um, and then I moved into uh, working with a confirming house, which is really kind of like an, it's a bit, it's a bit like banking. It's organizing the movement of goods from one place to another and the financing and the shipments of it. And that taught me a lot about money. It taught me a lot about the world. Um, and it taught me a lot about negotiating because. Um, At the age of 26, the guy who ran the business, actually was a collection of 14 businesses, 14 smaller companies, um, went away, had a heart attack and phoned me from Tenerife, which is where he was and said, all right, I'm leaving it to you. I'm making you direct to deal with it, which was really interesting because at the time I was pregnant with my first child as well. And I would go to banks and negotiate letters of credit. And um, I think I destabilized people because I was Indian, I was a woman, and I was pregnant. It's kind of like <laughs> all the things that don't turn up in a CEO's office. Um, and I, I, I suppose what I learned then was about money and how to deal with it. I learned how to negotiate and to be okay with me, despite the fact that I was so contrary to expectations. And I learned to communicate better with people who are older than me because I was managing and running an organization. And they were all older than me. I wasn't brilliant at it. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and um, yeah, so I did that for a number of years. And I had my father in the background, who is a banker and a financial consultant and a brilliant one at that and always advised me. Um, and I'd always go to him and he always advised me, even in later years, he advised me. Um, and then. I had three children, spent 10 years at home doing bits and bobs. I even went to selling mattresses, not mattresses, duvet covers at Covent Garden Market. Um, And uh, just really little things that seemed like they were silly. Then when my youngest went to school, by that time we'd moved to Sheffield, um, I did a counselling course. And um, a year after that, I set up a company training people to work with. Addictions As part of my counselling course, I got a job in a rehab unit in Rotherham, which was very difficult because it was mainly white, unemployed, minors, um, uh, male, Mm. um, kind of really the opposite of where I was. So yet yet again, I was, you know, square peg, round hole. Actually, I was more round than square. (laughs) It was a round peg in a square hole. Um, And it worked out fine in the end. I was there for three years and I really loved the work. I had a great, great manager. I learned the power of conversation and that's where I first learned the power of story mm. people would tell their stories I would tell stories we dealt in metaphors and then applied it to ourselves and 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 that just stuck with me I wasn't a film goer really at that time and I wasn't I didn't even watch television I was just busy and then in 95 I set up my business um, and began to train counselors in addictions um, and then uh, started running training programs for for people who wanted to join my courses um and at that time I got a contract to go and work in Croatian it was for, meant to be for five years it was working with health professionals and therapists and teachers and pediatricians and, thera- and, and psychiatrists and um I was teaching my method really to them in order that they could deal with the trauma around them mm-hmm. and at the same time I was working at needle exchanges and split and um and I learned something new that I mean I I I loved it and I hated it. The, the stories they told me were just terrifying. I'm not even going to describe them now because I don't want to bring this into the into the into the conversation. Um, but I was really distressed. And by the time I'd come to the end of year three, and I'd been to a place called Vukovar, which was which had held the war for three years. It wasn't big enough to hold a war, but it had held the war for three years, and it paid a huge, huge price. Yeah. Um, and witnessing that and speaking to them was Deeply upsetting. Um, and Croatia's not that far away no. from, from us. Um, and I and I and I had a laugh as well because, um, because addicts were like they chose it. That was the mindset. You chose this, it's your fault, you chose it. You know, we've just had a war, because by that time the war had ended, we've just had a war. We've got people who need care. So they had no condoms because all the condoms were being taken by proper people. They have no needles because they were being used in hospitals for people who were injured. Um, And they have no wards because the wards were being taken by people who were injured. And so I would, with my children, we went round um, Sheffield and Rotherham and Chesterfield to old people's homes and hospitals and rehab units and took their out-of-date needles and out-of-date condoms. I don't even get an out-of-date condom, but I certainly got some (laughs) condoms. And we stored them. We stored them in black bags in the basement of my house in Sheffield. And then I'd pack them into boxes. And at that time there was an airport at Sheffield and I'd take these boxes through and the airport was tiny. It's the size of my dining room really. (laughs) And these guys, customs officials, you know, who are probably just anybody that they picked up to be a customs official (laughs) would open my boxes and and I, I went there every month and every month I had boxes and one box would have needles and the other box would have condoms. And they started calling me the party girl, you know, because there's are calling many goes to Croatia <laughs> once a month with condoms and needles. So I did that. And then I took, I had to leave because it was just too traumatic. So I didn't finish the five years and I started working corporately. And, um, and now I was working not with people. And I was working with people who had different kinds of issues. And, um, and again, you know, um, I, I loved it. I did it for 20 odd years, um, Designed stuff on the same model that I did the, the therapeutic work really um and built a team that of people that I'd known for a number of years who were all better than me and really really loved it um yeah so and again you know we'd run conferences and people would come out of the conferences and they wouldn't remember the graphs that had gone up on those slides mm-hmm. powerpoints mm-hmm. that's what they are called they have been out yes. of it for so long I've forgotten <laughs> what it's called they wouldn't remember you know what the graphs were but they would remember the story about the Tuaregs who are a tribe in Africa who've got a different way of decision making or they've got a different way of reaching rapport or negotiating and they would come out and they'd remember the stories but they wouldn't remember the numbers and you know boy oh boy do I get that yeah so um so that was really the birth of that kind of thinking well a few years ago must be five six years ago um uh I I co-founded with my oldest oldest friend who is now working with me we were now working as partners within my company we co-founded another way now my original company was called another way and mm-hmm. this is called another way now and another way now is a not-for-profit well not for any money at all it is a for loss organization yeah. which hopefully that will, that would change once we register as a charity because we haven't got round to finishing okay. that off covid's right. got in the way there a bit um and the idea was, by that time, I was passionate about telly. I'd watched Breaking Bad back to back and then moved into documentaries. I'd worked with media companies. I loved telly. I loved film. And I understood the place of stories. And my work in Croatia, in particular, had given me an insight into what, what's happening in the world around us that we don't know about, that, that we breathe in the same same air that they breathe out. Mm-hmm. We're joined in a way that we can't even... We don't even know. And, and yet we don't know their condition. And I, I, I feel quite passionate about it. And um, the time came a few years ago and I thought, that's it. I'm, I'm done with pitching for work and working with corporates, not because they're corporates, but just because it's harder work and mm-hmm. it's lots of work. And um, there are younger, newer ideas coming up. And I don't particularly want to retrain. I'm done with that. I want to do something completely new and varied. Mm-hmm. And so we started finding um, human rights films. And we've covered all the issues that you've described mm-hmm. already and started showing a film and putting together panels of people that we really respected and were representative of the worlds we were talking about um, and journalists and politicians and lawyers. And we would we would we started to show films and we made, we collaborated with this brilliant cinema group called the Everyman. And the guy who owns the Everyman um, just said, any of your films, anytime you can do it here free. And which is what we did up until COVID. And uh, we've had to of course take the whole thing online and onto Zoom, but that's what I love to do. And you, you said at the end of your intro, um, you know, it's about changing the conversation. It, is, it did change the conversation. And now another thing is happening is changing the things that people do. So um, it's now turning from simply information education and change and I really like that and that's happened kind of um, organically it isn't something yeah. that I've pushed so that's I'm sorry it wasn't that brief but
0: that's the story. No it's such an important um, story to tell Tina and, and I, I absolutely agree with the power of storytelling it's something I've always used in my work as a financial planner but, but you're right we can resonate I mean and the work that you're doing with Another Way now uh, interestingly, I was having a conversation with somebody recently who, who actually is a, is a later guest on a is a guest on a podcast, and we were talking about the importance of visibility and mentors to enable people to uh, become something that's maybe different to their upbringing. But what you've just said there just reminded me. In reverse, is it's one thing to give people aspirations to strive for, but equally, if we living in our comfortable white British world are not made aware of some of the injustices that are going on around the world. We, we live in, in ignorance and so I thank you for bringing those stories to our attention. It's difficult to know how to do anything about it sometimes but nonetheless I think an awareness and a conversation and an understanding for other people's difficulties is so important so it really is great work and uh, thank you for doing it. At, uh, thank you. Now, I'm going to take you zooming back, Tina, to when Tina was a little girl. So I I think you were born in India, but you came over to the UK with your family. Um, What age did you come over? And and what were your earliest memories of money as a little girl? So actually, I was only four months old when I came over. Tiny,
1: yeah. Um, But I still had a sense of being very Indian because my home was Indian. It was just me and my mum and dad. My two sisters were born in the UK. Um, And we'd go back every year and spend extended summers there. So um, what are my earliest memories of money? Actually, not until, not until the end of junior school, Mm -hmm. when I started having pocket money, I never really thought about it. Um, And then I started having pocket money and my, my father would insist on a, if he was going to give the pocket money, he would insist on a weekly account of how that money had been spent. Okay. And uh, and I would put, you know, however many pence, Bunty magazine, however many <laughs> pence, Kit Kat, and then I put all the balance, I put miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> and that has stood me in good stead. You know, I can go into detail on many things, but I really don't go into detail on managing my money, I just I just, I I find people I trust and hand it over really. (laughs) Check that it's going in the right direction, but I don't want to deal with the detail. But um, yes, and the other thing that my father said to me, he, you know, he he looked in my wallet and it was a complete mess because I just scrunched everything up and stuck it in my wallet. (laughs) I'm probably about 14, 15 now. And he'd say, he said to me, if you don't treat this with respect, it's not going to respect you back. Mm -hmm. He said, you need to have like your, he has his notes straight Yes. in his wallet which then folds up tidily so you can see how much you've got mm. and I've never forgotten that I still keep my notes straight and I'm in France right now so there comes a point usually halfway through the channel tunnel where I'm sitting in my car where I take out my UK money and put it in my other wallet and I put my euros in my thingy wallet and it's a meticulous process I'm not <laughs> meticulous about many things but I'm meticulous about this and it's really stuck with me yeah so my father was a banker, as, as I said, and um, I think you know he really understood the currency of money. And mm. uh, I think he passed that on, really.
0: You mentioned the word currency, Tina, and I know you and I have had a conversation in the past about currency and money. And in fact, are the two the same thing or are they in something entirely different? What are your views on that? Well, it's, it's interesting. I did listen to...
1: Um, one of your other podcasts where um, your participant talked about the hierarchy of values Mm -hmm. and um, I don't see money as a product. I see it as a utility. Um, My currency is relationship. Um, In an interactive world, my currency is relationship. Yeah. Um not that I have loads and loads of friends because I don't. I have very few people that I'm close to.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but but I value that hugely. Um and my and my currency is impact and truth mm. and care. You know, I have a load of things that sit above my and freedom. Yeah. That's the big thing is freedom, the freedom yeah. to choose. So money makes some of these things possible. Um and that's how I see it. I wouldn't like to be without it. Um, yeah. I really wouldn't like to be without it because I wouldn't have all the choices that I want. Yeah. I just, it's, I, I, there was someone I was visiting. Sorry to diverse. You can always come no. to <laughs> Um uh, There was someone I was visiting and she wasn't very well. And she must've been about 60 at the time. And she lived in a place called Alfreton in Derbyshire. And I went to see her and it was a Monday. And um, I, she, she she wasn't very well. I said, shall we make us both a cup of tea before we start talking? And she said, yeah, the kitchen's over there. I opened the fridge and there's no milk. Mm. So I said to her, there's no milk in your fridge. And she said, shall I go get some? And she said, no, I can't get milk till a Tuesday because I don't, I don't get my money until Tuesday. Whatever benefits she was on, she didn't get her money until Tuesday. And I must have been uh, 32, 33 years old. And I had never come across having no money. Mm. I'd never come across it. And I, even when there's no money in my wallet, I always have a credit card or a debit card or someone I can ask. Or yeah. it, it was just a concept that I, I still can't really get my head around. Yeah. That there was so much money in the world and not to have any. Um, but my currency isn't money. Money is my utility. And yeah. I like to have it Gives it gives me the things that I value in life
0: i think you're right it it is really important i think to see money as a utility a, an exchange of value isn't it rather than something that is that gives us currency and and the story you've just told there tino i think is is valuable and it it's painful i could feel the sadness of that story of I'm imagining somebody you can't afford a pint of milk i mean goodness uh but but we know it exists and i think to Remember that is is a very humbling um, thing for us to, all to do, um, but without doubt, money does does give us give us choice, and and that choice and freedom, I think, is is a fascinating thing. Um, I, I'd I'd like to use your background in kind of counselling and. Um, a uh, relationship, Tina, to explore a couple of things that are kind of maybe different to what I might normally pick up on a, on, a, on a conversation. And one of those is, why is money such a cause of angst in relationships? Why is that? I think.
1: I think it's a cause of angst in relationships when the values of the people involved in that relationship are different around money. So if you've got two people who have the same attitude, they may have a scarcity mindset around money, but they both got scarcity mindset around money. There's rapport, there's a meeting place for them. Yeah. um, Where there's a difference or where there's deprivation. So if someone's walking into sacrifice in order to promote or support the values and the beliefs of the partner around money, that sacrifice Always, sooner or later, ends in some kind of resentment, mm-hmm. and that's what I think happens. So, um, I, I, I think that I, I listened to some tapes which were called "Money and Sex," and it said there's only two things that go wrong in any you know relationship: one is money, and the other one is sex. It doesn't—I don't mean the platonic relationship, obviously. <laughs> 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 um, but it was interesting to think that, and I think it is really about your attitudes and beliefs around money in this Mm. case um Mm. and not aligned
0: yeah and money can be used i think you referred to it as as a control can't it within many relationships as you say whether that's deprivation and i get and i guess that is the scarcity well not even necessarily abundance on the other side either is it it's just scarcity and control and and that's and the other thing that i often see I see less these days as a financial partner, but I have seen it in the past, is where one party to the relationship isn't open with their partner about what's going on with the finances. Mm-hmm. I think money can carry a lot of shame, can't it, about mm-hmm. decisions made, perhaps mistakes. Um, and that that's also quite painful. I, I know I've thought over the years when I've seen clients who are anxious around money that perhaps if they were able to share what was going on with their partners that there would be a much more healthy relationship and sharing of that burden and and I guess it's it's complex isn't it I mean I think that's one of the reasons why we want to do this podcast is to understand why people find it so difficult to talk about money.
1: I think there's two things in what you say the first is why do people find it difficult to talk about money and there is there is a culture, and I think it's quite a Western culture, I don't think it's necessarily so in the East, mm. where money is almost seen as a bit crude and um, gauche. I don't, I don't know yeah. the right word for it. It's like, it's, it's, it's not polite, it's not nice. It's something that's not got delicacy. Um, I think that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is the person who has the money, has the freedom, has the choices, has the power. And, and I do think it is intrinsic in all of us to want to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. But I think we, we take a mistaken turn on the search for empowerment and go for power instead, and money becomes one of the tools for making that happen. Um, and I, you know, I heard someone say secrets make you sick. So within a relationship where you're keeping things hidden, you're keeping them secret, that whole relationship can then become toxic yeah. because it doesn't, it's not generative, it's not honest, and it's not open. And, and what's And another thought around that for me is um, I got divorced many years ago and um, uh, and I I haven't got married again. And and I I don't particularly want to to be personal about it. But one of the reasons is that I've got a son that lives in Washington, a daughter that lives in Australia, another daughter that lives in Manchester. I've got the house that I live in here in France and and I love to travel and Mm. I have work in the Middle East and and. I have nobody in my life who says, how much money are you spending on flights? Why are you staying in that hotel when this one's cheaper? Or yeah. why are you traveling so much? And I, and I, I, I think perhaps I'm, I'm taking a step too far <laughs> because I'm not prepared to negotiate my freedoms. And my money allows me to express those freedoms as fully as I want to. And if one day I meet someone who rejoices in my abundance, then that's great. But I think most people I would scare. Yes. And, um, and I like not having to negotiate that thing because that's the relationship I have with it.
0: Yeah. And, and you're right. That is very much an abundance type of mind, abundance mindset or the determination as well from you that nobody's ever going to, you you don't want to feel beholden to anybody else for the decisions you want to make around money. And, uh, does that, is, do you know why that might be Tina? Does that, are there any early memories that have been triggered perhaps by that? Or is it just the way you've developed?
1: I think um, although we were, my my father was salaried to start with because he was, you know, working with the bank. And then he set up his business and he earned a lot of money. But he was never extravagant. Um, and uh, money was a topic of conversation in mm-hmm. our house mm-hmm. about you know, what you can and you can't spend and how much things are. And dad would say to me quite often, you know, we have a, we had a triumph. We had a mini, then we had a triumph and then we had a Rover. And he'd say things like, you know, I don't want a Mercedes, it's too flashy. Or um, mm. my mum would say, you know, I'm happy wearing cotton saris. I don't want me to wear silk saris. And there was this kind of virtue that was tied up yes. with uh, not being extravagant. Um, and I think... I think our, our parents' values shape us in two ways. Either we agree with them and we live by them, which to some extent I do,
0: yeah. or
1: we go the opposite way, which yeah. to some extent I do. And certainly around money, um, because I don't have fear about money, and I, I've noticed this in my ex-husband's parents too, they were post-war, they knew what rationing was about. You know, when I scrape the pasta shells out of a pan, it's, if one's stuck to the bottom, I leave it there and wash it up. Yeah. But my mother-in-law, my ex-mother-in-law, would make sure that that last pasta shell came out of the pan. And I think that's how I was brought up as well. Mm. It's like, you know, you use every last bit of pasta shell. Mm. You know, when my food goes rotten in the bottom of my veg drawer, I don't really like it, but I'm not going to eat it just because it's there. Whereas I think my my mum might just have made some soup.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, I, lo- I love that. Analogy that you know we either embrace the things that we were brought up with or we, we often rebel against them and, and maybe there's a there's a stratum of which we we move but I can I can having known you a little bit Tina I can see both of those things that uh, would would come out in you and I understand you have two sisters how, does how does do your money habits play out the same for all three of you or do you notice differences between it
1: no and I was thinking about that while I was out walking today um, so. Um, my youngest sister also went into finance. She did a business degree. She got an MBA. Now she's a music journalist and she has a radio program. She's very, very cool. Um, but she has incredible attention to detail and shes I'm interested in the strategy and the result, the process. I will willingly hand over to someone and pay them well for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been, been like that with my staff. Whereas my sister is... I don't know whether she has a strategy, but the process is really important to her. Mm. Um, and I think that's why she's such a good radio journalist. Um, and she has the same attitude towards money. She knows where every penny is gone. She knows what date the bills come in. She knows whether they've gone up a little or down a little. She's really on it. And yeah. she reminds me of my father in that, because my father is exactly the same. So she has a very different way of dealing with money. And she also is not, she she'll, She'll be extravagant about going on a holiday somewhere, but she doesn't have cash to rest. She's much more contained. Um, My middle sister is an adventurer and she is an extraordinary, she's a professor and she's fascinated by the thing that she studies and she she teaches and it's international politics and geography and um, so she does a lot of travel. And for her, her money is really about discovery discovering new places, new people. She loves people, she's really sociable, new foods, new things. And for her, that's what money's for. It provides her with discovery um, and adventure um, and education, because she learns from it. I, I don't think she'd call it anything as dry as education, but that's what it's there for. Yeah. And if the three of us were to go out for dinner, um, it would be a fight as to who would pay. <laughs> If the okay. two of us were to go out for it would be a fight as to who would pay. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so she's similar to me in that, but what she wants it for is different from what I want yeah. it for. So, yeah. yeah, we are different.
0: So you mentioned your uh, middle sister being um, um, open to spending money on travel. Um, and I always think the choices we make around how we spend money are quite fascinating, where is it that you spend money very freely, Tina? And where is it that you perhaps notice or begrudge having to spend money? So I think my core principle
1: is: I don't mind spending money, but I hate wasting it. Okay. So that's that's where that's it. Mm. Um, where do I spend money without thinking? Well, I bought a car in a day the other day. Um, I. I get a feeling that something's right and I buy it like a house, like huge things. Yeah. Um, I like to stay in nice hotels. I always travel comfortably. <laughs> and, you know, I've gone all Western and got embarrassed about it, but I always travel comfortably. I want to. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, I did go through a phase of buying clothes, but I don't really know. I just get them on the internet and I've got more clothes than I can wear. So that's that. So where do I... So, those are the things I'd spend money on. I spend money on my children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I have three basic principles around that. It's health, home, education. Those three things have got to be satisfied. So I would definitely make those things happen for them if they're not able to do it themselves. Um, what do I begrudge? Well, I, I hate wasting money. So I don't I don't buy things that I'm not going to use. Yeah. So I'm not into decorative items or gold or jewellery. You know, most mm. of my jewellery is plastic. Um, I'm not into diamonds and gold and um, fancy shoes. and Yeah, things that are going to sit in the it, cupboard. I, sit in the cupboard or, you know, their value is, is in their statement yeah. to the world as opposed to yeah. the, what, what I want from it. I would love to wear, I love wearing soft silky beautiful clothes but it doesn't need to be Gucci or Chanel or so so it's I can't yeah that's that's the kind of thing I don't like and I don't like wastage yeah so in my office you know I I don't mind you know getting a new phone or computer for someone in the office because they need it but if that then is like just not used not used or not used properly Mm. or you Mm. know spoiled in some way then I feel sorry about that you know I don't I don't like that at all because that just doesn't feel right. Sorry, it's a long answer because I can't, you know. Have no, it, no, it, I get it. I've got that division in my head.
0: And it, well, it brings out your abundant side and, you know, the the bit, as you say, where you hate waste. And I think there's a good balance between between the two. I always think, what, what, what I was reminded of when you were saying that is that the thought around hating, wasting money. And for me, I always remember there was a time a number of years ago when, I don't know, go out to dinner with, with friends midweek. And you know when you just feel like you've spent a lot of money on dinner and it doesn't matter what that figure is, whether that's 20, 50, 100 pound, whatever. And if you've had a great night, you really don't mind at all, do you? But I remember that I went through a phase a good few years ago now when I was going out to dinner and I'd spend what in my view was a lot of money on dinner and I hadn't enjoyed myself. And I didn't even particularly like the people I was with. And I—that was what I really begrudged. That felt such a waste, probably of time as well as money. But um, don't know if there's something about what you just said that just sparked that memory for me. But um, what's been your best buy, Tina, in the last twelve months or so for under thirty pounds? I love to ask this question because I think it brings out creativity. So I brought it because I knew you were going to ask me that. It's this.
1: (laughs) What is it? It's a it's a wooden yeah mobile phone holder a wooden mobile. so it means means that I can have it upright yes I can have it upright while I've got my laptop and my Uh um ipad open and I can have a phone conversation and still work on this and yeah you know I can do multiple things so and I can listen to my radio while I'm in the shower. And there's all kinds of things that I can do now that my mobile phone is going to stand up and I can see it. And, uh,
0: <laughs> I, I got that on Amazon for £17. Wow. Well, um, that... oh, so you so it's not like you, I just balance mine against the glass or something and then it topples over. and uh, But like that. Very creative, Tina. I'll have to order one for you. Maximizing efficiency for £17. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we've gone deep on a number of issues Tina which I've loved and and I love the thoughtfulness that you brought to a lot of our conversation. What I always like to do is to leave our listeners with a money pearl of wisdom. So we've spoken about a number of things but what would be your one or two Tina pearls of wisdom that you would you would like to leave us with?
1: Oh Well, don't
0: count it. (laughs) Ah. What do you mean by that? Well, um, it. someone
1: once said to me, you get what you measure. Mm -hmm. And I certainly think that if I count money, so I've done this many times while running a business, but I've also done it many times myself, there's something about me that, that changes my value sets. I then It then becomes a primary filter, as opposed to something that runs in the background. So, I don't like to do that. You know, once a year, for example, when I come to the annual meeting or yeah. I have a meeting where I, that's what we're going to talk about, then I will go through my papers and I will sort out what I've got, and I may, I'm, I probably even decide, you know, whether I've done well or not so well. But to count it on a regular basis, and I do have people around me that do do that, and I. And I find that their attention to money supersedes many other things that they would think important Mm -hmm. otherwise. It changes them slightly. So that, that would be one of the things. And I don't know if this is a pearl of wisdom, but it's certainly true for me. I would rather see my children and the people I love reaping the benefits of money that I have while I can witness it Mm. than once I've died. Yes. So it really is about participating in their lives in a in a benevolent way where they need it. I mean they're not they're neither greedy nor poor. Yeah. Um, but I'd rather see that than than have it left for when I die I mean I know we're supposed to think we come back you know again and get reincarnated it'd be just my luck to be reincarnated as a mouse or a rat (laughs) or a donkey you know and and if we're not reincarnated then we've wasted my our entire lifetime thinking it's going to be better next time around so I would rather do it all now and see it and and leave it
0: those are really powerful so the first one was not counting it and you're so right and we we as financial planners always say to our clients just don't watch what's going on in the markets not least because it can provide anxiety or relation all of which are quite temporary and can change and i know you were saying it for a slightly different reason but but i like that message about not counting money and that also about if you can afford to enjoy the money that you have sharing with your children a time when you can see it and they need it i think is a very powerful message and um i think the subject of inheritance and how we are with money whether that's passing on to our children or philanthropy is such a key subject that i've seen so often during my time as a financial planner that I, i i think i'm going to come back and do a bit of a series i think just just teasing teasing that out but um no thank you for saying that i think it's um two really perfect pearls of wisdom. Tina, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think would be a good money story to leave us with? You d- and don't feel really you have to say anything because you've been very open and generous with your thoughts and and experiences.
1: I don't really think so. I'm 63 now. Um, I'm not earning money anymore. Um, I'm running my what's going to be a charity, but I'm running it with my own money and I'm getting a great deal of joy out of it. And I just think I'm very lucky to have handed over the care of my money to, to you <laughs> um, to, to look after. So that, again, I don't have yeah. to look after the process. And yeah, I just I thank you for your part in this, too well Tina
0: thank you so much and we will um put a link to another way now in our show notes that is what we we podcasters say so um, if anybody would like to take a look at it I would really recommend that they do so but thank you ever so much for your time I always get so much out of our conversations you always cause me to think differently so so thank you very much for that Tina and um yeah look forward to catching up with you again before long Thanks, Ru. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. I told you she had a fascinating story, didn't I? And how timely hearing about her experience working with war refugees and the power of story to help us understand the world around us. I love that quote, we all breathe the same air. Now, before you go, let me just tell you about my next guest, uh, William Pratt. Now, William is the finance director and one of our client directors and managers at Paradigm Norton and he tells us about his experience of growing up with very little as a boy in Birmingham to co-founding a incredible financial planning business Paradigm Norton um, almost 20 years ago now and how he's educated his teenage daughters around money Be be sure to listen out on Monday the 4th of October when we go live so stay well in the meantime and of course don't forget to ask the weight of your fish thank you so that's it for today i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did i'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe rate and give a five-star review for money expresso apparently this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you.